Now, good morning. It's good to be here. Kind of a privilege and uh, an honor. Feel the responsibility and appreciate prayer as do my two brethren. It's a joy to work with them and trust God will give us much help. Turn, if you would, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Just pick up a few verses here. 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Now turn to Matthew 17, if you would please. That's Peter remembering the event that we are about to read in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, actually let's just pick up the last verse of chapter 16. The Lord Jesus says, verse 28 of Matthew 16, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias, Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for booths, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Now, this passage is recorded in, this story is recorded for us in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9 as well, to which we'll make reference at times. Now, I hope the Lord will use these readings to help us, encourage us, and instruct us this morning. Last night in the prayer meeting, one of the things that was noticeable in the prayers of our our brothers was the number of times at least I noticed it because of my interest in the subject, was the cry to God for change. I hope we've all come, and we would love to see a change. Not not changes out there, but changes in here. So I would like to speak in the two messages that I, I will give, ministry messages this weekend. I'd like to speak, first of all, today about the, the transformation of Christ. And then tomorrow, I would like to speak about the transformation of the Christian. 
the change in Christ on this mountain. And then tomorrow, the change in the Christian that is here today. So in, in this passage, I think it is helpful to get this passage and understand it correctly, to consider the context. We have read in Matthew's gospel, and if you'll remember that Matthew is the gospel, of course, written and directed, while it's good for all, perhaps it is directed particularly to a Jewish audience. Jewish people that have been waiting, that have been waiting for, for, for centuries for the coming Messiah, the king who would come, and he would set up his kingdom on earth. And John the Baptist, he gave the great declaration, and he began to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Lord Jesus began his preaching, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, that repeated expression some 32, 33 times in this gospel. And so the king has come. Will the kingdom be set up? Well, he starts by establishing, you remember the Sermon on the Mount? His principles in the kingdom. And then in chapter 10, he sends out his messengers to proclaim the kingdom. But you come to chapter 12, and then the reality sets in that the nation who was waiting for their king was rejecting the king. And they even accuse him of being empowered by Satan, Beelzebub. And so when we come to the end of chapter 12, the Lord Jesus says, even his family has come to him. And he, he, it's as if he says, hold on just a minute. The ones who are my brothers and sister, those are the ones who do, the, do my will, do the will of God. He's making it that spiritually things will be defined now, not, not through blood and through, through, through physical relation. It will be a spiritual relationship. Chapter 13, verse 1, he goes out of the house symbolically, marking out. So he leaves the house, that closed, limited environment, nation of Israel, and he goes out to the sea that touches on its borders different lands, symbolically saying there's going to be a change now. The kingdom will be spiritual. And you'll hear men talk about the mystical kingdom, not mysterious, but that there's a spiritual, invisible kingdom. Same principles apply. But today we are living and we are part of the kingdom. We've been translated into the kingdom. And so we have the great privilege of spiritually, invisibly being connected as citizens and that kingdom. But the disciples are Jews. What about the, all the Old Testament promises of a, a literal, physical kingdom on earth? Has that all been canceled? The Lord Jesus says, some of you will not see death until you actually see that the, what it will be like when the Son of Man comes in His glory. You remember Peter died. In fact, John 21, Peter uh, was told by the Lord that he was going to die. And he didn't say, no, 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 no. You promised me I was going to see the kingdom. He never says that. Why? Because he already did. And so the Lord Jesus takes them up a mountain, and it's as if he pulls the curtain back on a window, and he says, now look in. And this is what is ahead. The physical kingdom that is going to be set up on this earth, that's, this is what it's going to be like when the Son of Man comes in his power to set up his kingdom. Look at it now. I want to show you, give you a little window what it's going to be like. And it was after six days. After six days. You say, why do we need to know whether it's six days, five days, four days? Who cares? It's important. Six days. There have been six, if you follow dispensation, there would be six dispensations that have passed. And now we come to the high mountain. I tend to think it was Mount Hermon. That high mountain with snow on its slopes. That high, highest peak. In, and now we come to the, to the high peak of, the, of God's administrations on earth. And it will be administered by the king coming. See where this is going. You say, so what in the world does this have to do with us living here in Midland Park? We're waiting for the rapture. Hold on just a moment. 
Do you realize that what they saw in that window could be seven years out from today? Maybe more. But it could be just a short time. And you say, well, we'll be long gone. We'll be in heaven, and we'll be up there strumming harps and getting, having angels bring us iced tea or whatever it is, how they're going to serve us. What would it... No, my friend. No, my brother. No, my sister. What does the Bible tell us? Paul wrote, if we suffer, we shall reign with him. John, who was there, he records in the book of the Revelation that we will sing. He has made us priests, uh, kingdom, uh, priests to our God. And we shall reign over the earth. I'm not exactly sure what all the relationships will be, what all our position, where physically we'll be located. But where he is, we will be. And so this is part of our future too. And so when we look through the window now, I hope you will realize you are looking at part of your future that may not even in your 10-year plan. Everybody talks about their 10-year plan. Have we factored this in? That within 10 years, we might not be looking through a window. We might be looking at the reality. And what will we see? We will see what they saw with the changed Christ, the transfiguration, the transformation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're looking ahead. Just, just lift your eyes now with me and imagine you're looking through this window into the future and what are we going to see? Well, the first thing you notice up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says, it says that he took up with him Peter, James, and John, his brother. So start with me, if you would, just to notice that in that kingdom, we are going to appreciate his grace, his grace. Peter, James, and John. Come on now, be honest. If you were Andrew, wouldn't you be down there saying, hey, I would say first. I've been on the road to the, road to the kingdom a lot longer than they are. In fact, if I hadn't taken Peter there, he might still be outside the kingdom. Why am I down here and he's up there? And after all, I, I, I shouldn't complain in a loud voice like that, but wouldn't you not, wouldn't, would you, come on, be honest. After all, he's taken a pair of brothers, James and John. What about Peter and Andrew? Three, four, what's the difference? What's one more? In the kingdom, as we look around, there's going to be different privileges. Different responsibilities. And nobody will have any room for competition or envy. Does Peter deserve to be up there? Absolutely not. John? James? You? Me? You see, when you see it from his perspective, it's just the grace of God that anybody is there. That anybody is being used. In the kingdom we will look around and we will see full of the evidences of his grace. Not one person deserves to be there. Not one person deserves to serve. We'll have an appreciation in the kingdom. And that day of his grace. And you don't see Peter and John and James up there looking down the mountain saying, those poor fellas. It's really sad they never got their spiritual lives in gear. You see, when it comes to grace, there's no room for pride and bragging. And there's no room for competition and envy. We're not there yet. 
But sometimes our biggest difficulties are just the harsh reality of our competitive spirits. Sorry to include you. There's got to be one or two like that, like me uh, out there. Our competitive jealousy that somebody got asked, that somebody was and somebody was not in the assembly, and why them and why me not? Brothers and sisters, we need to appreciate grace that nobody deserves anything but to be in hell. Thank God for the coming day when he's going to put again on display his grace. But you have to read the other stories, and what do you find out? These disciples were so privileged, the grace of the Lord, to take them up there, and they, were, they fell asleep. Given a privilege by the Lord, and they fell asleep. Anybody here asleep? Uh, excuse me. I didn't mean literally. Some heads just went up. Anybody here asleep spiritually to a privilege that God has given you? And you just take it for granted. After all, it's just who I am. It's just what I deserve. It's just what I can do. It's just we need to come back to appreciating God's grace. And if we really understood His grace, it wouldn't matter if everybody was given the privilege but me. It wouldn't matter. And if I was the only one given the privilege, it would still be the same. A celebration of His grace that will be shown in the... Yes, there will be. You remember he talked about how the 12 disciples will be on 12 thrones. There will be equal sharing on that. But here he's teaching them His grace and giving privilege. And it cannot be criticized. But of course, with the transformation, you can't help but see His glory. His glory. It'll be a wonderful day. Luke uses a word, aganeto, which is the word that means just it was altered or he was changed. But Matthew and Mark, they use this word that you have here that is the root word, that is, really gives us our word in English, metamorphosis. A change that goes, you know, we would think of it automatically in terms of the, the uh, caterpillar that becomes the butterfly. There is an internal change that is expressed outwardly. Well, now. The Lord Jesus did not change inwardly, but who he is is expressed outwardly. And that's what we have here, his glory. First of all, you'll notice that it was unparalleled. This was not something that happened all the time, doesn't happen all the time. This is not common in our world. I'm setting myself up for tomorrow if you'd be so kind to come back. This is not normal in this universe where there is change inside that has taken place and a positive outcoming of that change. That is rare. That metamorphosis. And so now that, in fact, actually the description is more about the clothes of the Lord Jesus than it is. It's only Matthew that tells us about his face. It's all about his clothes. You say, why? It's the person. Yes, but you see, this is the idea that something inside now is being shown out his glory. Unparalleled process. But I want you to notice that it was undeniable, undeniable. About, I think it's about 11 miles from Athens in Greece. In the, during the Greek Empire, there was a, a village that became very, very famous, Eleusis. And Eleusis, it was there that there was the Eleusinian religion or sect was developed. And what it was was there was a not too far off with some that even exist today, 
where they would go into trances and they would, they would have visions and dreams and they would go through initiation rites and they would work themselves up. And if you got up to the third level, that was the famous one, the very few initiated ones who got to get up into this, this state of euphoria and be able to see whatever it was they saw, the word that, that was used to describe them was the word epoptes. Epoptes. And so there was only few. A crowd like this, there might be just one. Maybe, and they would be revered by all because they got into the high mysteries. Epoptes. Peter picks up his pen and he says, you know, he said, we went up the mountain. He says, we were eyewitnesses. Epoptes. But he says, we weren't in some kind of drug-induced state. We were not smoking anything funny or short. We were not injecting ourselves. We were not sniffing something. We were not putting ourselves into a trance. He says, actually, you know what we were? We were the privileged ones. We were privileged because, he says, we saw with our eyes and we heard the voice. We were in body. We were in with our, all our faculties. We were there. But we got to see something the glory of the Lord Jesus, it was undeniable. And with Jews, how is something described? How is something proved to be undeniable? In the mouth of two or three witnesses. How many disciples did the Lord take up? He took up three. And he says, we were epoptes. We were not there, there in some kind of a fog and some kind of mysterious thing. It was literal, physical eyewitness with our eyes and with our ears. It is undeniable. The glory of the Lord, the window we look for, the coming kingdom. But he says as well, it was, well, if you pick it all together, you can say that his glory is actually undescribable. It's undescribable. Look at, look at how the glory is described. The, glory, he, the Lord was transformed. He was transfigured. Metamorphosized, if you want to literally... Transliterate, you want to transliterate the word. How did that work? One gospel writer says, if you want to know what his glory is going to be like in the kingdom when you look, it's going to be like, it'll be like, and he uses the, he says it'll be like the, the sun. Blinding light. Then you have the other description. It says his clothes were shining like the snow. The snow. Now, don't look up there. Look down here, the snow. Luke says it was glistening. The New American Standard Bible has a little note there that says it was like flashing lightning. Going, how does lightning work? Does it go from the sky to the ground or to the ground to the sky? You can fill me in on that later. I think the answer is yes. Get the idea? It's almost as if a whole search was made on all of creation that is visible. Is there anything out there to describe the glory of our Lord that He will, that was shined out? You can compare it with lots of things, as the sun and as the snow and as the lightning. But then he says, this is, these are things that are made by God. These are things that are made by God. What about, what about what the best that man can come up with? Mark says, there is no launderer. I don't know if there's anybody who's a launderer here. Lots of ladies who are launderers and maybe some men and maybe some single people and maybe some widows and, and maybe some of us don't have a clue what it's all about. But laundering, get the, get the, the, get the Clorox. 
Get whatever lies you want. Get the whatever chemicals you can find and try and make it as white as you possibly can. And he said, you won't even, they won't even be able to touch it. What there is God has put in earth and what we can see that from our view, what God has put, what man can produce, the glory of our Lord that we're going to see potentially in a very short amount of time. That glory, it is undescribable glory. Peter just says it very simply. He said, we saw His majesty. His majesty. Brothers and sisters, we are going to see His majesty in all of His glory. But who else was there? Moses. One time Moses had a, he had a nice complexion. He was shining out the reflecting the glory of God and he came down remember and then there was the veil and uh, and and then there was Moses that was it he was back to where he was it, it, it was fading could I remind you that the glory of the Lord Jesus never faded nor will it ever fade what do we sing it was veiled in flesh the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity. It was veiled. So it wasn't that he changed to become God in the moment. He was always God in all his glory. God, manifest in flesh, the unchangeable. You know that group I was telling you about? They were just like every other sect and religion and cult on earth. What are they trying to do? The whole idea was that if you get up to the third level, you're just one step from becoming a God. A man working through all of his drugs and, and states and visions and everything, and then you become a god. Peter says, you know what we saw? We saw something so far different. What we saw was the God who became a man. His majesty. Unchanging. His glory. But I want you to think about his gathering there too, because he gathered together some people. Who will be in that kingdom? Now, some of you, hopefully some of you have a desire to raise your hand. But you're not supposed to do that, so I won't let you. But who's going to be there? Well, look, it says, first of all, there's Moses was there, and Moses was a person who died. So there will be people who have gone through death and have been resurrected, and they will be in the kingdom. I take it, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, that there will be Old Testament saints and, and they will be raised up and they will go in. And then you will have as well, you will have people who died, martyrs, whose clothes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, people who have died have been saved during the tribulation. And they will be raised, dead people raised up, and they will be in the kingdom. Then you have Elijah. He didn't die. He was, what would be a good word to describe Elijah? He was... We allow the word maybe raptured? Would that work? He was raptured. There's going to be people up there who are, now you see, people raptured who will be in that kingdom. They didn't die, but they're raptured. And so there'll be people who will be raptured there. And I take it that that shows us the possibility of rapture. But then you will have people who are alive, Peter, James, and John. There are people who are never going to die, and they will never be raptured, and they will be in the kingdom. Who are they? Well, there'll be at least 144,000 of them, right? Who will go through that tribulation period and there'll be others who have been faithful to the end and they will go from the end of the tribulation. The king will come in his glory and in they will go into the kingdom. There'll be living believers who will not die, who will not get there through rapture. 
But now, somebody else there. You say, I can't wait. It'll be great to be there with my, my child that passed away. It'll be great to be there with my grandparents or my parents. It'll be great to be there with Old Testament saints. Got a few questions for Abraham. It'll be nice to be there. I'd like to, I'd like to talk to Enoch, another. Uh, yeah, it would be great. It would be great. I'd love to talk to people and get a first-hand experience. What was it like living in the tribulation? Did you actually, did you actually see people with the mark of the beast? And, and how did that work? Hold on. All that falls aside. Because the king is going to be there. The son of man. The king. Establishing his kingdom. The gathering. But notice who's not there. I, I don't know whether this will appeal to you or not, but it does to me. I hope you won't misunderstand me. There's not one unsaved person up on the mountain. Why? I take it. Personally, I feel that there seems to me that there will not be one unsaved person. When he comes in his power to set up his kingdom, there will not be a, an unsaved person on the earth. Well, there might be children, but we'll just put that aside for the moment. Do you, do you realize what that means? I was just down in Costa Rica. I got to talk to some of the, a few Christians that had fled from Nicaragua, fleeing for their lives because of the government situation there. Just took some Bibles down this week to Mexico and tried to deal with the government down there about the corruption. The inefficiency. And just the just the, the yearning. Will there ever be righteous government on the earth? Just imagine. The king comes, there's no unsaved person in any government anywhere. There is no government. And he sets up his administrations. David T. Zudema, mayor of New York. Andrew Usher. Premier of Ontario. Did you, did you see? He will set it, and everywhere in the world there'll be believers operating with the principles of the kingdom, responsible to the king. It will be a magnificent place on earth established. Oh, I know it'll, it, the unsaved people will be born, and, and, and then at the end, I know the story a little bit. The gathering together, there's. And when he comes, no, somebody else is not there. He was there in the temptation, but he wasn't there in the transfiguration. Satan is not on the mountain. He will be locked up. His efforts, his influence eliminated from planet Earth during the kingdom for a thousand years. Imagine an Earth with all those great people together, including you. And imagine that with the king himself and his administration and all of that set up and no satanic influence. What a glorious future there is with a gathering that will take place. But I want you to think about his greatness as well, his greatness in that kingdom. Uh, Peter appeals to me for a number of reasons and one is because I think we can relate to him, at least I can. Peter got all excited. There's nothing wrong with getting excited, but sometimes emotion 
gets in the way of intelligence and conviction and wisdom. He knew the Bible. They weren't just having seven parties a year. Those were feasts of Jehovah. And he knew that the seventh one was going to celebrate, yes, the end of all the harvest season, but it was looking forward to the day of great eternal uh, blessing coming from the Lord. When they set up those tabernacles, those booths, and they, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, he says, this is going to be the fulfillment of it. The king's coming. Why, the king's here. Why don't we just set up some tabernacles now? And we'll make one for Elijah, and we'll make one for Moses, and we'll make one for Jesus. Peter, Peter, Peter. You're acting like John Dennis again. Why are you doing that? The Lord Jesus is not one of the greats. Moses, prophet. Elijah, prophet. Jesus, You know, we have a, 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 a challenge because Satan has a lot of ways to accomplish his mission. What was the beginning one? You will be as gods. And some people fall for that, don't they? Where we take ourselves as human beings and we put ourselves up to his level. We will be just like him. But if somebody walked through the door and they had access to here and they had one of these funky machines on there hanging off their ear and they got up here and they said, now, I'd like to just offer you all the possibility. If you will all suddenly start to chant the following words, we are going to, you will become as gods. The brethren don't, well, they would get up and kindly escort the person to the door, but you're not going to fall for that. Come on. You wouldn't even have the slightest concept that someday you could be as God. That would be blasphemy to make men equal with God like that. So Satan's not going to try that with us. But he just might get us to try and take him and bring him down to our level. And just make him one of us. Follow me? Anybody here listen to music? Love music. Evaluate words sometimes in Christian music, and you just might find occasionally or often that the treatment of him is just to make yes, I know we have access. I know we should be we, we are comfortable as sons. In the presence of the Father, but if he could make us just bring him down and we treat him as one of our buddies, we will be achieving that same goal and we will committing this error, just making and bringing him down. May God help us to evaluate our words, to evaluate our ways, to evaluate our activities, to evaluate our values. Are we in any way bringing him down? from the lofty person and position he has. The greatness. Prophet. Prophet. Suddenly God intervenes. And a voice from the Father, what does he say? What are you doing, Pedro? Pedro. Now you all speak Spanish. What are you doing, Pedro? What are you doing? 
He said, this is not a prophet. This is not one of the great prophets. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I couldn't say that about Moses. I couldn't say that about Elijah. And I couldn't say that about you men. But this is something I can say about him. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. He says, hear ye him. Have an ear for him. Have an ear for him in my kingdom where you're attuned to him. And then all of a sudden everything changes. The cloud is there, the presence of God, the voice of God. And all of a sudden all they see is Jesus only. Can I close with just a simple challenge to your heart and mine? So, if in the coming future, all there was was hearing His voice and seeing Jesus only for a thousand years, Would you be happy? Or would you feel like something's missing if there's no New York Jets or Arizona Cardinals or Facebook? Will there be Facebook in the kingdom? I don't know. Hopefully not. Personal opinion. What if there's, what if there's no telephones? What, what are we going to do if we don't have cell phones? If I don't have my job, if I don't, I don't have my family, I find this tremendously soul-searching. Would I... Tells you about something right now, doesn't it? Tells us about right now. Would I be happy? Does Christ satisfy me? So just Christ... Oh, I know we have to do things, and I'm not criticizing, you understand. But it just brings us down to the very core of what drives us. Three disciples. There's a test for you now. If all you hear is his voice, and all you saw was Christ, would you be happy? You know, John. John, who was there, he had a lot of time to think about it here on earth. He was in prison. He wrote the book of Revelation and he described the events leading up to eventually the coming king and the establishment of the kingdom. What did he say? Even so come Lord Jesus. When he said that, what was he saying? Even so come, get me out of this trial. This is painful. I'm lonely. This is difficult. I miss my family. This is too tough. I'm old, I'm hurting. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Not a bad prayer. Or had John completely forgotten about himself? And all he could think about was God. Think about the Lord. And the coming display of his glory. And the establishment of his kingdom. kingdom, And the thrill it would bring to the Father. The delight in his Son. And so he just see, he looked at it all. Would to God that this would be the desire of your heart and mine. All of God's plans. When we will see the transfigured, the transformed Christ in all of his glory. May God help us to go away saying, even so come Lord Jesus. The king is coming. And we, may God encourage our hearts. We.
shall reign with him. God bless his word.